pray. Isaiah chapter 54 in your Bibles this evening. Isaiah chapter number 54. Would it be uh, offensive for me to pick on people who sit in the very back? Would that hurt somebody's feelings? Maybe a little bit. All right. Okay. All right. There's a reason why they call the term backsliding. And um, so, um, you know, like if you go to a basketball game or a football game or a music concert, man, people pay top dollar to sit on the front row. I think if we charge for people to come to church, they pay top dollar to sit on the back row. Uh, so it feels that way sometimes. Amen? I'm thankful for those of you who are here tonight, and I'm glad you let me pick on you a little bit. Uh, but um, uh, we, want, uh, we want to be a blessing uh, to each other, and we want to love each other. If you're on the back row, I know you love Jesus just as much as I do. We do. Amen? Yeah, I, I think... I think you're just tired of looking at my ugly face, and so you're getting as far away from me as you can. And so, yeah, no, I got you, I got you. All right, Isaiah 54, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God, Isaiah chapter number 54. In your Bibles this evening, we're going to finish up, Lord willing, in the next 30 minutes here, we're going to finish up the chapter. We began last Wednesday night, took in two of the four points, and we're going to take in the other two points this evening. We've got a lot to uncover and a lot to get to. Let's begin in verse number 1, and we'll read down through verse number 5. The Bible says, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. Speaking of Sarah there at the beginning. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord, enlarge the place of the tent, of thy tent, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords. And strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles, and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded. For thou shalt not forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of the wicked, of the widowhood rather, any more. For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall He be called. This really is a chapter about Israeli restoration and uh, how that they were punished by God and how that God is seeking to restore them. Let's jump in and tonight and we'll continue our Bible study, lengthening the cords and strengthening the stakes. Lord, thank You tonight for our Bibles. Thank You for how rich the Word of God is, how there's so much here and as Miss Barb pointed out just a little bit ago, no matter how many times we read it, there just always seems to be something new for us there. It is a inexhaustible ocean of of wisdom and love and knowledge, and uh, Lord, it's an inexhaustible ocean of your goodness. So, God, tonight may we swim in those waters for just a few minutes, and may you guide us and show us wonderful truths from Thy law. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Lengthening the cords and strengthening the stakes. We talked about that this evening, or rather last week, what that meant. Let's jump into the outline so that we can quickly review. It'll catch us up, and then we'll jump into point number three. Last week we began by talking about a proclamation to rejoice. We said that the very first word to follow, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, which deals with a suffering servant, the Messiah, who died on the cross 
for our sins. The very first word in chapter 54 is the word sing. How many songs have been written about the great sacrifice Jesus made on the cross? And we sing uh, as a result of the salvation that we understand because He was bruised for our iniquities. Our chastisements were laid upon Him and by His stripes uh, we are healed. And so a proclamation to rejoice. And God tells Israel here, uh, you need to uh, make broad the curtains. You need to lengthen the cords. Verse number 2, you need to strengthen the stakes. So we uh, first looked at the interpretation. Letter A. We looked at the interpretation and we talked about how that, that this is not written to the Gentiles. This is written to the Jews. I've heard so many sermons out of Isaiah 54 about lengthening the cords and strengthening the stakes. And we miss the interpretation of the passage outright. This is not written to us Gentiles. It's written to the Jews. Understand that in Israel right now, they take up just a little sliver of the space that God promised them. We've looked at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 4. And we saw that God had promised them uh, 300, or rather, uh, yes, 300,000 square miles of territory that would be theirs. Uh, they currently inhabit a very small percentage of that. In fact, at the zenith of their uh, land, uh, uh, of what they uh, possess or uh, were um, uh, living in the land and habitation uh, was around 30,000 square miles under Solomon. It's far less than that now. Far, far less than that. To give you, again, to give you some perspective, we said that Texas is 270,000 square miles and Connecticut is 5,000 square miles. So the space that they're supposed to inhabit is very large, but the space that they actually inhabit is very little. But when Jesus comes back and He sets up His uh, his reign in Jerusalem, lo and behold, He's going to kick the Gentiles out of uh, Israel proper, and those cities will be desolate, and the Israelis will come flooding in from all over the world. Isaiah talks about the highways that are all throughout the, the book of Isaiah that talk about how the Jews will make their way from the four corners of the earth into Israel and they will inhabit the desolate cities left behind by the Gentiles and it will be a strictly Jewish place of residence. Christ, Christian Gentiles will visit, but only the Jews will live there. So that is the interpretation. But then we made some applications. Some applications. We said that just as the nation of Israel will lengthen the cords and strengthen the stakes of their own national empire, God had commanded them to take the gospel commission uh, from uh, from uh, just Jerusalem, ultimately to the uttermost parts of the earth. They were to take that gospel message and they were to go with it. And boy, did they ever do that. Peter opened the door for the Gentiles to hear the gospel. Paul walked right through that door and proclaimed Jesus in three separate missionary journeys all over the Gentile world. And the Great Commission, the, the cords were lengthened and the stakes were strengthened. And here we are, some 2,000 years removed from Jesus ascending to heaven where He walked around Israel and we're believing in the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, all these years later. But not only the, the Gospel Commission, we looked at a growing church and how the church is to, to continue to grow and grow and grow. We talked about church growth 
last week. I shared with you my frustrations the first several years I was here because I'm putting in all this effort and the church's attendance isn't really growing. And uh, listen, a church is not grown by a man. A church is not grown by a deacon board. A church is grown by the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, upon this rock I will build my church, my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church. And we talked about how that God blesses a church that's in unity and a church that is prepared for God to send the growth. And so we are to lengthen the cords and we're to strengthen the stakes so that God will grow our church. Now, I just want to say this right here. Every time I have watched our church go through a little growth spurt, we just went through one uh, maybe six, eight months ago where we were running about 180 and now we're running somewhere between 230 and 250. Every time I've seen our church go through a growth spurt, and we've been through a few of them, there's been a few things that have always been in place as part of that recipe. One of them is that our church is walking together in unity, and there is no strife, there is no bickering, there is no arguing, there is no undermining, there is a coming together as a church body, and there is a moving forward for the cause of Christ and the gospel of Christ. And I mentioned this in the prayer time, don't you be part of the problem that brings disunity and discord into the church. Are you saying, Pastor, that I have to be a mindless robot who just does what I'm told? That is not what I'm saying. You are allowed to disagree with something that's said from the pulpit or something that's said in a life group, but boy, you sure are not to walk around and voice that and complain and so this in the church, you go to the pastor, you go to that life group leader, you go to a deacon and you express your disgruntlement or your disagreement and you deal with that in a way that's meek and, and lowly and appropriate and watch how God blesses you for doing that. A growing church is a church that is free of sin. A growing church, godly growing church, where Christ is growing the church is a church that's built on unity. We are lengthening the cords. We are strengthening the stakes. We're widening the tent so more people from the community can come into this church and get the life-saving, healing balm of God's grace poured all over them. Aren't you glad that this church has been here for you to be a blessing to you uh, the entirety of the time that you've been here? Amen? I have been blessed because I have been a part of White Oak Baptist Church. So many of you here have been a blessing to me and my family and have aided and attributed to my growth in the Lord. And uh, I seek to give, but I also get so much from this church. And I hope that you feel the same way. And I know this, that if it's good for me and it's good for you, it's good for all the people out there who don't come here. Amen? You say, Amen? Amen? Amen. Uh, I, I look at, my voice cracked, you hear that? Um, uh, I, uh, I look at people who go to other churches and I think, you know what, you have a good church, but I think ours is a little bit better. How many feel that way? What's wrong with the rest of you, amen? Yeah, I'm just teasing. Uh, you say, well, you're biased. Yeah, of course I'm biased. I'm the pastor. You, I'm supposed to be biased for the Manny. I'm supposed to think this is the greatest church in town. I mean, by the way, we have Manny in our church, Amen. This is the greatest church in, in town, amen? Uh, maybe not in the world, but in town it definitely is. And uh, it, look, if you think there's a better church somewhere else, then maybe you should go there, right? If you really think that's the best church, what are you doing here? 
And so, uh, listen, I believe that wholeheartedly. And I want other people to come. And I want other people to experience what we experience. There's a whole lot of hurting people out there that are lost. And uh, they're confused. And the culture's got them sideways. And they need truth. And you know what they need us to do? They need us to open up our hearts. And they need us to open up our doors. They need us to invite them in. And they need us to minister to them. Then we saw, number two, a period of rebuke. And I'm going to be very quick here. We saw letter A. We saw Israel's adultery. We looked at verse 7. and, and that, Look at verse 7 with me of chapter 54. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. We went to Hosea chapter 2, and we saw the parallel with Hosea and Gomer. How that Gomer had been unfaithful to Hosea, and how that... Um, uh, 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 she had walked away from uh, Hosea, but Hosea had ultimately said, if you're going to live that way, you can't live in my home. Uh, you have to go away for a time. And we said from the very uh, start of God's relationship with Israel there in the wilderness, Israel began by cheating on God with the golden calf. And we looked at Exodus 32, and we saw that very idea of Israel, the men of Israel, dancing around uh, with almost nothing on to some very wicked music, dancing around the golden statue there and worshiping that uh, that statue and how idolatry and uh, God views idolatry as adultery, spiritual adultery, seemed to be a problem that has just plagued Israel throughout its history and its relationship with God. And then we didn't only see Israel's adultery, but we saw Isaiah's analogy. Look down with me at verse number 8 and 9. The Bible says, In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. For this, here's the analogy, as the waters of Noah unto me, uh, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I would not be wroth unto thee nor rebuke thee. So just as Israel was, or rather, the world was punished one time by a flood, God said, I will never do that again. Uh, God has promised that He would never punish Israel on that level ever again for their behavior. And we said at the beginning that this is a chapter about restoration. And so God mentions the hurt in the relationship in order to get to the restoration. So let's look at number three this evening, a promise of restoration. A promise of restoration. And I'm going to give you here just a couple of thoughts underneath this about restoration. In fact, let's look if we can. Let's see here. At A, I've got to get my pages right here. An A and a B, alright? Number three, note, or rather under number three, notice letter A, the Lord's constancy. The Lord's constancy or consistency. Look at verse number 5. Look at verse number 5 with me. And notice how God is describing Himself through Isaiah's pen. Look here. For thy Maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is His name. Thy Redeemer. So we see Maker, Husband, Redeemer, Holy One of Israel, the God, the Elohim of the whole earth, or the Creator of the whole earth, shall He be called. And so who is God? God is your Maker, He's telling Israel. God is your Husband. God is your Redeemer. Uh, there is a constancy to the Lord. Let me just uh, say this to you this evening. Can I tell you the people that you appreciate most in your life are the people who are the most consistently good to you in your life? Stop and think about it for a minute. 
The people who are consistently good to you are the people who you need the most in your life. I have people in my life who I know if I call them on the phone, get them on the phone, I pretty much know that they're going to have a kind disposition toward me. If I have a problem, they're going to listen to me and they're going to help me. Those people in my life who are up one day and down the next and up one day and down the next, I don't lean on them for my emotional strength. Otherwise, I would be up one day and down the next. And uh, You know what? I, don't, I want to be that person who is foundational to so many. That's what I desire to be. That's, is that what you desire to be? Aren't you glad that the Lord is the same day in and day out? Here's Israel. Up one uh, a generation serving God, faithful to Him. The next generation, they're in the tank with idolatry or adultery to God. They're one and the same. And then there's this rebuke, and then, and then there's this, okay, we're back up here, now we love God, and then it's down here. And you know what God is? He's just constant. He's just constant. Turn over to Hosea chapter 2 and verse 14. Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. Now, we looked at the first 13 verses last week, and we saw how that uh, Hosea said to Gomer, and this is God speaking in a parallel to Israel, I'm going to uncover your nakedness. I'm going to show off your lewdness. Uh, you, are, you are wicked. You're chasing sin. And I'm just going to let you fall into that sin, and I'm going to let you have it. And in fact, in fact, let's do this. Go back with me to verse number ten, Hebrews, uh, rather Hosea chapter two. Look at verse nine. All right. So I want you to see the pivot in the chapter here. The pivot happens in fourteen. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof, and my wine in the season thereof, and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. He said, all of the provisions that I've given. My wife, because of her wickedness, I'm just going to strip them away and I'm going to leave her with nothing to eat and nothing to wear. Verse 10, And now will I discuss her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and none shall deliver her out of mine hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease, her feast days, her new moons and her Sabbaths and her solemn feasts. We talked about how that is to deal with Israel and all of the ceremonialism of the celebrations. And I will destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she hath said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me, and I will make them a forest, and the beasts of the field shall eat them. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them. And she, speaking of worshiping fornication, and she decked herself with her earrings and jewels and went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. Now look at the pivot. Look at 14. And now we see how God is going to be a God of constancy. Even in Israel's unfaithfulness, God is faithful. Look at 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. And I will give her vineyards from thence in the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth. And 
uh, as in the days when she came up out of the land of Egypt, and it shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishi, and shalt uh, and shall call me no more uh, Bailey, for I will take away the names of Balaam out of her mouth, and they shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day I will make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, and with the fowls of heaven, and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword and the battle out of the earth. Speaking of the millennial reign here, and will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me. Forever, Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. And thou shalt know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day. I will hear, saith the Lord, I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth and the earth shall hear the corn and the wine and the oil and they shall hear Jezreel and I will sow her unto me in the earth and I will have mercy upon her that hath not obtained mercy and I will say to them which were not my people, thou art my people and they shall say, thou art my God. The Lord's constancy, His consistency. Yes, Israel ran from God. Yes, there is this time of rebuke. And I believe right now is the time of Israeli rebuke where uh, God is taking a break from them and is focused on the church, yet He still loves them. And one day when the tribulation is over, they're going to be restored. They're going to be a, a time of great restoration. I know this all the while. God is constant. God is faithful. Letter A, we see the Lord's constancy. Letter B, we see the Lord's kindness. Go back to Isaiah 54 and look at verse number 6. It says, For the Lord hath called thee as a woman. And that's why I took us to Hosea, because of the parallel there with Hosea and Gomer and God in Israel. The Lord hath taken thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God, look down at verse 10, for the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. And you know, God in His punishment of us when we do wrong, He is still kind to us. He's still kind to us. I fear that many of us have grown up in homes as children or uh, repeated this with our own kids where we're kind to them when they're good, but we're passive-aggressive or flat-out mean to them when they're bad. And what are we telling our kids? We're telling our kids that if you want Dad to be sweet with you, or you might want Mom to be sweet with you, then you better behave. Because if you don't behave, you're going to get the ugly, mean side of Mom or Dad. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but I bet most of us here were raised in those environments. Now watch this. This is different about God. Whether you're good or you're bad, God is kind to you. Now He may punish you, but even the punishing hand of God is kind. Is kind. God is kind to us. Can I just say this right here? No matter what somebody does to you, listen up, it is always right to be kind. Always. You know that Hebrews, I think it's chapter 12, yes, chapter 12, tells us that the Lord, for whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, even as a father, a son in whom He 
delighteth. There is a kindness to God, even when we do wrong. Sometimes, though, when you're in the midst of being punished, it does not matter if the Lord is kind in His punishment. To be punished is to hurt and suffer. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17. Have you ever had God punish you? Oh, I've had God punish me. I've had God rain down punishment on me. And you know what? He was kind because it could have been far worse. But you know what? When you're being punished, it isn't any fun. I can say to my son, You did what? Go to your room! Stay there for 48 hours! You can come out to go to the bathroom and eat. Other than that, you're grounded to your room. And I can yell at him and, 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 and belittle him. Or I could say it like this, Matthew, you did wrong. Go to your room. Sit there for 48 hours. I can be kind about it. Can I tell you, 28 hours in, it's going to be just as miserable whether I yelled at him or not. Being punished is no fun. Right? Sometimes God takes us through punishments because He's trying to teach us a lesson. I, I get, I get um, a, a little frustrated with Christians in the 21st century. Here's why. We think that we deserve to never suffer. You know God calls us to a ministry of suffering? Amen? Amen? You heard about the three rings in marriage, right? There's the engagement ring, there's the wedding ring, and then there's the suffering. <laughs> God calls us to... Listen, I, and, I, and that was meant to kind of lighten the mood a little bit, but listen. God calls us occasionally to suffer. Some of you are going to go home and use that on your spouse, aren't you? <laughs> God calls us to sometimes to suffer. And you know what? Sometimes God brings suffering into our life because He's trying to make us better. Look at 2 Corinthians 4. Look at verse number 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Brother Yankowski, do you have that passage? Yes, I do. Could you read verses 17 and 18 for us? One more verse. Go ahead. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We get so focused on this temporal, physical world. And God says, take your eyes off what you can see and put your eyes on what you cannot see because your suffering for a moment is but a, look at the words at the beginning of 17, a light affliction. A light affliction. We're so troubled by the heartaches of our life. Can I just say this to you that um, no matter what you're going through, if you're saved, it's going to feel like just a five minutes of suffering when you're a million years into heaven. You're going to look back over your shoulder and say, ha, ha, ha. Boy, I was miserable down there on earth. That was a light affliction. Look at what I'm getting to enjoy in heaven. Here's a neat thought. Think about people who are godless and just hate the Lord. And, you know, they're living up a good life. And you think, boy, they've really got it all. And, and how come they get to have all the fun and all the, you know, the trinkets and toys in life? And 
They get the raises at work and you know they're foul-mouthed and they're nasty. Do you know that if someone dies in their wickedness, the best they have it on earth is the best they'll ever have it in eternity? The worst Christian that you have it on earth is the worst you'll ever have it on in eternity. You see, they're lost. They're going to spend an eternity in a, God, in, a, in a godless hell of suffering. If you're saved, no matter what light affliction you go through, you've got heaven to look forward to. We need to take our eyes off of the temporal and we need to put our eyes on the eternal. Remember that the Lord is kind to us and no matter what affliction we're going through, God has great purpose in it and through it. Number four, and lastly, we see provisions in righteousness. Provisions in righteousness. We saw, number one, we saw a proclamation of rejoice. Number two, a period of rebuke. Number three, a promise of reconciliation. And number four, provisions in righteousness. In Isaiah's prophecy, we see, and write these two things down if you're taking notes. I found this fascinating. Um, immediate fulfillment of the prophecy and then ultimate fulfillment. So as we read through uh, 11 through 17, what you're going to see is that on some level, this prophecy of provision uh, has come to pass. And, uh, but there's another level or another tier of fulfillment here. So I see from 11 down through 17, I see three promises of provision within living righteously. And uh, th- these are really good. Notice letter A, a provision of prosperity. A provision of prosperity. Look at chapter 54 and look at verse number 11. Carlos, you have your Bible there? Can you read verses 11 and 12 for us? Isaiah 54? Yes, sir. What a thought. God says, I'm going to take, you're afflicted, but I'm going to take the cities and I'm going to line it with jewels. It's going to be amazing and beautiful. And you know what? When they were in captivity in Babylon, they had a city that was broken down and burned and being pillaged on a regular basis. And sometimes it can feel like that's what's going on in your life, is that it's just a broken down city being pillaged and run through and constantly going through problems and trials. And God said to them, one day I'm going to give you a beautiful city. And sure enough, they were released from captivity and characters such as Nehemiah and Ezra and uh, Joshua and many others went and helped them to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. But there is yet another Jerusalem that awaits uh, Israel that's going to have yet the ultimate fulfillment of this Prophecy of a provision, a provision in righteousness. Look at, look with me at Revelation chapter 20, 21 and look at verse number 1. Revelation 21, for the sake of time, I'm going to start reading. But we're going to be reading a handful of verses here in the chapter, so please do turn over there. It says, uh, John the Revelator says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, 
New Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, provided, uh, pre- prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Skip down to verse number 11. Having the glory of God, speaking of this new Jerusalem, and her light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Look down at verse 18. And the building of the wall of it was jasper, and the city was Pure gold, like in the clear glass, and the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a, uh, a, a whatever that is, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh uh, chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a uh, chrysophersis, the eleventh a jacinth and uh, the twelfth and amethyst. And so here is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 54 that you are going to live in a Jerusalem that is filled with wealth and great prosperity, but not only a provision of prosperity do we see in Isaiah 54. We also see a provision of peace. A provision of peace. Go back with me to Isaiah 54 and look with me at verses 13 and 14. Isaiah 54, 13 and 14. And we see a peace that's going to take place in this restored Jerusalem. Brother Joshua Marmel, are you there? Could you read 13 and 14 for us? Thank you very much. Notice it says, In righteousness shalt thou be established. And verse number 13 talks about how the Lord will teach the children. What a sight! That in this Jerusalem one day, and I believe this speaking of the millennial reign, but probably even the eternal kingdom, God has children gathered around them, and He is teaching them. Who says that teaching children isn't a big deal? What Miss, Miss, Mrs. Autumn Codnia, Miss Barbara Plude, and Brother Andres and Miss Hope, and many of the other children's workers, Miss Angela with the bus route do, when they gather the children around them and they teach them the Bible stories, uh, what our neighborhood Bible time workers are going to be doing, here in just a, a week and a half or so when they open up the Bible and they teach them these truths. This is exactly what Jesus is going to do when He gathers the children around Him in perfect peace and He teaches them. Luke 18, verse 15, we find Jesus' public ministry and it says, "...and they brought unto Him also infants that He would touch them. But when His disciples saw it, they rebuked him, but Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such, listen to this phrase, is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Many people cannot find peace in their lives. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 32 for me. Many people cannot find peace in their lives. There is a strong connection between righteous living and the peace of God. Let me just say this tonight, and oh, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to say anything super controversial this late in the message and not have time to get it all cleaned up uh, and to clarify and give all the disclaimers. But can I just say this? Where there is peace, there is, where there is righteousness, there is peace. And where there is no righteousness, there is no peace. Someone cleverly worded it this way. 
K-N-O-W, know God, know peace. And then N-O, know God, know peace. To know righteousness and to walk in righteousness is to have a peace that lives deep in your heart. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 32 and look at verse number 17. Isaiah 32, 17, look here. And the work of righteousness shall be what? Peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. I'm going to make just maybe a paragraph worth of statements and then we'll give you letter C and finish it up. Too many people lack peace because they find their acceptance in everything else except God. If you get your value and worth and purpose in life from your Creator and King and Savior, and you are at rest in that relationship, then you're going to have peace in your heart and life. Where there's this unrest that lives within our soul, ultimately what this boils down to is a God problem and a righteousness problem. I want to encourage all of you tonight to set aside what the world around you thinks and the culture around you thinks and all those things and find your acceptance in the Lord. Because when you are at rest with God, you are at rest. Period. I find so many people in this world, they're seeking to please all the wrong people. And as a result, they have this disrest within their soul. I can look at them and say, what about you and God? Well, well, me and God are fine, but this person and that person... Well, hold on a minute. If you and God are fine, then what's it matter, the rest of it? Letter C, and lastly, we see a provision of protection. Look at verse 14 through 17. Verse 14 through 17. Isaiah 54. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression. For thou shalt not fear and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and the, that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the waster to destroy no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue shall that, that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servant of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Turn over to Revelation 20. I love how people take verses like lengthening the cord and strengthening the stakes, or no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and they take them all out of context and make them mean things they just don't mean. Um, that does not mean that no one's ever going to hurt you or touch you if you are a believer, this is an Israeli passage talking about uh, them during the millennial reign. Let me show you a really cool passage, and then we're going to finish tonight. Revelation 20, we're getting to the very end of the millennial reign of Christ. The word millennial means thousand. The thousand-year reign of Christ. Satan is going to be loosed out of hell, and he's going to deceive the nations one more time and lead a great war against Jerusalem where Jesus is ruling and reigning, and it's all going to come to a very quick end as God protects his people in the nation of Israel. Look at verse 7 of Revelation 20. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the uh, beloved city. Now hold on, before I read the next part, can you picture this? 
Satan's been let out of prison. I'm almost done. Give me your attention. Satan's been let out of prison. He gathers all of the dissenters from the Lord who's ruling and reigning in Jerusalem. He gathers them all together into a mighty army. They're innumerable. They're as the sands of the sea. They're marching toward Israel to take on the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan is leading them. He is driving them in in this war. Now look with me at back at verse number 9. It says, And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. And so listen, when God decides to put His hand of protection around a group of people, boy, they could not be more safe. The application here is that he or she who is in the will of God is in the safest place no matter where that is. Amen? Let's walk with God this week. Let's spend time with Him. Let's do our best to be restored to our Maker and King.